0: Something we been curious about this broadcast.
1: T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain Nominal. 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 Nominal.
2: nominal.
0: Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, I promised that we would get something out before the end of the month and it looks like it's going to happen, so... uh Hopefully, on the uh, the other fader should be John Berger. How are you doing, sir? But
1: the problem is you said that month was going to be December.
0: We, we did get well, some I mean, out did. in December. But not this one. No, well, we did say that it was going to be at the beginning of the year. Uh, something would go out, but we were trying to get a guest on board and because of work commitments, that wasn't easy. And then eventually we did get uh, a guest on board and now we've decided to put it in our april edition of the show because of um well yuri's night and astronomy in april and all that good stuff that is going on in april and ross is pulling his hair out right now trying to arrange everything for that so what you've been up to avoiding the news yeah. yeah yeah our thoughts with everybody out in ukraine basically yeah that's crazy absolutely crazy And unfortunately, some of the stories that uh, we're going to be talking about today will be affected by what's going on out there.
1: Well, when uh, Baikon Hour basically is now unavailable to everybody outside Russia, that kind of causes issues, especially for space-related podcasts.
0: Yeah. Obviously, you've been doing your live streaming. Yeah, yeah, you know, working on my props as usual. you you got a convention coming up. so Yeah, PAX East, it? as we
1: record this, it's still going on. They've, they're they not cancelling it. Unless there's some kind of super crazy outbreak that happens between now and then. They're just going to go on with it. I mean, this is the first PAX I've gone to where every single day still has tickets available. Normally Saturday sells out in a matter of hours. Not this time. Which, you know, could be good or bad. I do love PAX. The crowds can get ridiculous on Saturdays, though. So at least this way the crowds are going to be really light especially on uh, Sunday and Thursday which as far as I'm concerned means more time to talk to people
0: yeah that could work to our advantage you know and if well I
1: mean it worked out last time because Sony backed out last minute and so the folks who run PAX contacted a whole bunch of indie developers and said hey we got space can you get someone out here this week and they did So I was able to talk to a lot of of developers that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to talk to because Sony would have, or I don't know if it was Sony or Microsoft, but one of them backed out and all of their floor space was made available and it was still full. So I'm expecting this one to be lighter in attendance, but hopefully just as good in the companies and the studios and so forth that are there.
0: We'll see. Yeah, because in the past, we've had some cracking interviews that you've managed to get a hold of.
1: But I mean, PAX West went on, PAX Unplugged went on. They just announced that PAX Australia is coming back. So... It's looking good that it's going to be a good 4-day PAX. So we'll see what happens.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, apparently there is a... Uh, I think it's Fan Expo. Let me see. It's more like a Comic-Con. It's not just gaming. But it's apparently the biggest in Canada, and that's in Toronto, which is only six hours north of me. That's on par, isn't it, with getting out to, to Boston? About the same distance as Boston. And I've already had a couple of friends up in Canada saying, uh, you know, if you come up here, let's hang out. It's like, okay. So that's in late August. It's going to be more for just general nerddom mm-hmm. instead of just gaming. So could meet a lot of other you know, interesting celebrities and so forth there. In fact, let me see. Uh, already booked. Elijah Wood, Sean Aston, Billy Boyd, and Dominic Monaghan. Ming Na is going to be there. Kevin Smith is going to be there. I'm hoping to head up to Canada anyway, but at least not for a, you
0: know, fan for That'd be kind of cool. We've had quite a few of our main conventions for 2022 take place, so that's been really good for a lot of my friends that are cosplayers who have been mm-hmm. itching to get into their costumes. You know, during lockdown, a lot of these guys had time to actually make new outfits, and they haven't had a chance to air them in public yet. Yeah, so they're really looking forward to that. no different than me and my (laughs) props.
1: I won't be in cosplay, I don't care, but I'm bringing up my latest prop with me, which is going to be interesting because it's almost 10 pounds. Wow. Yeah, so I've already modified it to have a quick-release rifle strap attachment. I'm going to have a rifle harness with that. (laughs) I'm not... Not carrying a 10 pound prop for four days without some kind of support. So, this is going to be my test for durability for that. Yeah, that'd be great for security as well, I would imagine. Oh, well, you, you check the prop in before you're allowed to re- even enter the area, and they'll check it out, make sure everything's good. I'll have some kind of you know, those, those stupid orange things on the front to say, hey, this is a prop and not a real gun. Considering that there's not a single gun on planet
0: Earth that looks like this, but, you know. Yeah. I remember when I went to Star Wars Celebrations in London. Obviously, you get your bags checked and everything. And uh, they said, have you got any offensive weapons in your bag? And I said, only a banana. What's offensive? What does that mean? Well, anything could be offensive. I mean, mine could
1: be (laughs) offensive. I could take the ammo drum out of it and throw it at someone. I mean, yeah, I could still hurt
0: someone with mine, but whatever. This security guy, he laughed. He checked my bag and he went, Oh, you have got a banana. I said, I wasn't making it up. I've got a banana in my bag.
1: (laughs) Well, no, this thing is 38 inches long. It's slightly
0: bigger than a banana. (laughs) I mean, that could be deadly if I just let it slip. You know, somebody could trip on it. (laughs) Mine could definitely be deadly if I let it drop on someone's head. When you're going up escalators or whatever, just be careful. (laughs) Oops, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, that should be fun, because if I remember rightly, when you went to PAX East last time, it was the last convention before everything got shut down. We made it by about two weeks, and then everything
1: all got shut down, so we got in there just in the nick of time.
0: Yeah, and that was the last thing we properly covered, apart from Live in the Park on uh, august bank holiday so it was really weird not having well we wasn't going to have field of force day last year anyway because they were going to give it a gap but no space rocks there wasn't anything in between any of the smaller conventions that i go to so it was like wow this has been a bit strange so going to live in the park last year and there was uh, around about fifteen thousand people Uh, It was a strange feeling. (laughs) That was over the course of the day, not all at once, to and fro, you know. So, yeah. So, I was wondering, actually, with Paxis, would it be worth looking at the list of, you know, who might be there and reaching out to them beforehand? Oh, I don't even know if they have an exhibitors list yet. I mean, it's still six weeks out. Okay, just keep an eye out. Right, so I think it's time we take a short break, and when we come back, well, it's space news.
2: If you could put on a special pair of glasses and look up into the night sky, you would see something amazing. A sky full of exoplanets, planets orbiting stars beyond our own solar system. A team of superhero space telescopes, in a sense, has done just that. Using powerful technology, they've peered into space, discovering thousands of these distant planets and unveiling their secrets. The first exoplanet discoveries were very down to earth. They were made from the ground. Pioneering new techniques, ground-based telescopes began capturing evidence of giant, scorchingly hot planets around other stars. But to see exoplanets more clearly, including small rocky worlds like our own, telescopes needed a boost. We began launching them into space, lifting them above Earth's atmosphere. This superhero team of space telescopes, Hubble, Chandra, Spitzer, Kepler, and TESS, were free from all the noise and interference from Earth's atmosphere. Jittering air molecules, scattering light, clouds, and moisture. And the curtain parted on a galaxy crowded with exoplanets, giant ones, tiny ones, rocky and gaseous, deep frozen and superheated, planets with two or three suns, super-Earths, mini-Neptunes, and worlds that were just plain weird, like nothing we had ever seen before. And now, a new marvel of technology joins NASA's team, the James Webb Space Telescope. Its infrared vision can peer into the atmospheres of exoplanets, expanding what we know about distant worlds. High on the list of odd exoplanets to observe is a terrifying place where it might rain glass sideways. This exoplanet is called HD 189733 b, and it's a hot Jupiter a giant gaseous world that hugs its star in such a tight orbit that its temperature is more than 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Its winds howl at more than 5,400 miles per hour. HD 189733 b has been a favorite target of our space telescopes. Spitzer measured its temperature and winds. Hubble discovered that the planet's clouds are deep blue due to the raining glass or silicates. And Chandra observed its star in X-rays, watching the planet's shadow as it passed in front of the star, a much larger shadow than previously thought because huge amounts of the planet's atmosphere are evaporating into space. NASA's next great observatory, the James Webb Space Telescope, will also turn its supervision on HD 189733 b. Like Spitzer, it sees in powerful infrared light, but Webb's vision will penetrate far more deeply into this planet's atmosphere and others than ever before. What will it find? Put it all together and it's a super team. Extraordinary telescopes, exceptional vision, and mind-expanding exoplanet discoveries.
0: This
1: is TGP Nominal.
0: Welcome back to TGP Nominal. As we mentioned earlier, we couldn't continue talking about space and stuff without mentioning what's been going on in Ukraine. I mean, since Russia invaded Ukraine, relations between the first nation to reach space, and the Western world has been stripped to the bone. Which basically means Europe's space agency has cancelled several launches on the Russian rockets. A contract between privately held OneWeb and Roscosmos for six Soyuz launches has been nullified. Europe has suspended work on the ExoMars exploration mission that was set to use a Russian rocket and lander. And Russia has vowed to stop selling rocket engines to U.S. launch companies. That's a very compressed version of what's been going on, really. In addition to these actions, the Russian chief spaceflight official, Dmitry Rogozin, has been, well, let's just say bombastic. And he's been making a lot of statements on Twitter and threats and things about how the ISS partnership can end. And a lot of the things that he's talking about, he's pretty much shooting himself in the foot because he does forget that, well, not everybody relies on them anymore and there will be ways around things now. If this had happened a few years ago, um, say around 2012 maybe, it might have been a different situation because then we were solely relying on Russia to do pretty much everything. Not quite the same anymore. (laughs) So far, however, Russia has not prohibited NASA astronauts from flying on Soyuz vehicles or recalled Russian astronauts that are training in the United States nor has the limited cooperation between Russia and NASA faltered. So that's a good sign, but how long will that stand for? Regardless of the rhetoric, neither the United States or Russia wants to lose the International Space Station. Its first component, the Russian-built Zarya module, launched on a proton rocket back in 1998. And, you know, for NASA... And the United States losing the space station would mean a forfeiture of something like a hundred billion dollars that's been invested in it it wouldn't make sense never expect sense where pride is involved or spite
1: that's the problem with that you know and I guess there's also debate as to how much the governments of the US and Russia are getting from having the space station up there It's an expense. It's not an investment, really, when you think about it, depending on how you define it. To the people, to the science, to the researchers, you bet it's an investment. The governments might not care, especially when you've got spite running very high like you currently do right now.
0: Yeah. Because I believe the International Space Station was developed for something for the Space Shuttle Fleet to do. That's true. Because they were losing a lot of investment because a lot of people didn't want to put payload onto the space shuttles because of the problems that they'd had. So they needed some way of using the space shuttles to their full potential. And building a space platform was the way forward. There were others before this too, like Skylab.
1: Yep, Mir. I mean, it's not like this is going to be the last space station ever. It's going to happen again. The Chinese have got one up there at the moment, so... NASA's already coming out saying that this one's going to be expired at, what do they say, 2031? They plan on dumping this into the ocean, which to me makes no sense.
0: I think they could probably use it as part of this gateway thing. Yeah, well, use it
1: as part of the gateway thing, but I guess for me, the whole thing is, as long as it's working and it's not a risk, keep using it. Fine, some parts might get old and outdated. Which is more expensive, to come up and build a new one, or to try to maintain the current one? Yeah. You know, why not just hand it over to SpaceX to maintain? You know, if NASA's that eager
0: to get it off their financial books, why dump it? Why not just sell it? There are so many people out there that would be chomping at the bit, as it were, to get their hands on something like the space station. Yeah, Uh, I, I don't understand why they want to drop it, but...
1: If Russia decides, you know, some of the statements that they've been saying back and forth, which are utterly childish, um, who knows what's going to happen now? I still think it's dumb to try to get rid of it. You know, again, until such point that it becomes a risk. Is it a risk right now? I don't know that it is. You know, you hear failures here and there on things going on, but they get them fixed. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but we'll see if this whole conflict and uh, the head of Roscosmos being... And it might not be professional for me to say childish, but when you look at the stuff he's been saying, it's ridiculous. He and, and uh, some U.S. astronauts, retired, thankfully, have been going back and forth, and the statements are ridiculous between the two. So, I don't know.
0: If the Russian and the U.S. segments were to unlatch and the power and the communication cables linking them were severed, most of the immediate need for the space station would be maintaining the station's proper altitude. This likely could be accomplished by the Northrop Grumman-built Cygnus vehicle, uh, which is presently attached to the station and is about to demonstrate such a capability. Previously, Northrop has been able to build about three Cygnus vehicles a year, and it would probably need to build more to have a fueled Cygnus docked at the station at all times for maneuvering. So you've got that as an option. Yeah. Well, didn't you
1: say when we were talking earlier that Elon Musk already said that SpaceX is there to save the space station in one way or another?
0: Well, basically, Rogozin was saying that, you know, if they power down the space station, it won't fall on Russia, but it could possibly fall on the United States, China, India, and that's not his problem. And who would save it? And Elon Musk, he didn't actually say anything at all. He just put the SpaceX logo in the replies yeah. on Twitter. If a Soyuz capsule can nudge the space station, I'm certain SpaceX could. Definitely. And if it can't right now, I wouldn't I thought it'd be long for them to develop something that can give it a boost. I mean, they've got various different engines yeah. that they can use.
1: But really, what are they going to do? Shut the power down and, what, leave the astronauts up there to die? Is that what he's talking
0: about? I think he was talking about evacuating, yeah. but um, I don't think there'd be any need for that. I'm sure that ESA will be prepared to put some more funding into it. And now that it seems that uh, the UK Space Agency has got a more lease for life now, Mm -hmm. they will be prepared to put something in as well, along with Japan and private organizations.
1: Oh, SpaceX and ULA, you know that they'll jump on board to help. There's a lot of
0: them out there now. Astra's been having some problems, but I'm sure that they'll help. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say Boeing, but <laughs> who knows oh. what's going
2: on with that? I think that.
1: they're too busy trying to justify the ridiculous amount of money that they've been blowing on the
0: SLS. Which is looking great at the moment. Have you seen those photos? It is looking
1: good. Well, well I mean, well, golly, I mean, we're only billions of dollars in the red for this. It better look
0: good. I just thought of it, if they need some other kind of service modules and things to keep things going, well, you know the European Space Agency used to provide service modules for NASA in the past. They've still got the designs. It doesn't take long to get them up and running. ESA can help out with that as well. There is some certainty that Russia won't be involved with the space station after 2024 anyway. One option has come from a private company in Houston called Axiom Space, who plans to launch a private module for the International Space Station in September 2024. The Axiom module can perform both the reboost and altitude control functions presently done by the Russian segment of the International Space Station. Once you get one private company with a module, there'll be others that want to build modules and send them up, and there's plenty of options to get them up there.
1: Who knows? The way Hollywood has been talking, they want to start shooting things up in space. Maybe the studios will have their own ISS modules for their own movie shoots. Wouldn't surprise me. Would not surprise me at all. But, I mean, could you imagine the studios saying, oh, yes, on our International Space Station
0: lot, You know, they just have a segment dedicated specifically to movie shoots. That would be pretty cool, actually. I was just reading something. If the space agencies are okay with a full commercial marketing on these outposts, for example, one of the companies wants to have a McDonald's module. Uh, <laughs> or a Starbucks. Starbucks will be there. Oh, there will be a Starbucks. <laughs> I can guarantee You know it's it. going to happen. I'm sure they're already planning where they're going to have their buildings on the moon. Yeah, when we start colonizing places, Starbucks will be the first up there. <laughs> the first interstellar Tesco's. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you don't think it'll
0: happen? I don't know about Tesco's. Well, I had to throw something I knew you'd recognize. Probably be Waitrose, which is um, a posher supermarket. It's owned by a company called John Lewis's, who are a big department store. i say I've never heard of that one. Yeah, basically, whatever you can buy in Tesco's, you can buy it in Waitrose for about three times the price.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> So it's like Amazon and Best Foods?
0: Uh, yeah, pretty much. John Lewis's is a company that is pretty much owned and run by the staff. Oh, wow. So everybody who works for the company is a shareholder. Yeah. So it gives them more uh, incentive to do well for mm-hmm. the company. Obviously, you've got Soyuz rockets that launch from French Guiana, which uh, is a bit of a problem. But I think it will be the incentive for Ariane to speed things up with their Ariane 6.
1: Well, I think it's going to do more than just Ariane. I mean, there, we've talked about a number of places that, you know, up-and-coming startups that are probably not going to push it because now they've got the opportunity. You know, whereas everybody was going to bike an Hour before, it's like, hey, hey, guys, we're here. We're here. Come to us. Come to us. So, I mean, at least there's that one bit of good that might come from all of this. You know, with it, it's a hell of a lot of bad,
0: but, you know. I mean, this is exactly what Elon Musk was predicting. Yep. He really wanted to bridge that gap that he knew was coming, and he kind of did that
1: <laughs> yeah he did <laughs> he definitely got that one right
0: even though the uh, what we call the old guard the old school companies the, the ones that you know do government Organisations had been using, tried and tested for years and years, and they thought, yeah, this will never happen. They'll never do it. We'll get all the contracts, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember those days. Yeah. And now they're like, ah.
1: Yeah, credit where credit's <laughs> due. He definitely got him on that one.
0: Back in the day, the, the people saying he was absolutely crazy. But we're not saying and... he's not. <laughs> Crazy's a strong word, but, you know. He's not afraid to do... What he believes. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's very true.
0: The majority of the time, it pays off. <laughs> I'm not saying there's been a few. A couple of bumps in the where road. There's been a hmm.
1: I still regret not buying one of those flamethrowers. Not a flamethrower. Not a flamethrower. Yes, I, you know, you know. What I, I regret not <laughs> buying the not a flamethrowers. There you go. <laughs> I saw two Teslas, one right after the other, as I was driving around yesterday, so...
0: It's surprising how many are over here, actually. Really?
1: Yeah. Wouldn't mind one if we're driving around locally, but I do too much road driving for, uh, oh, we have to stop now and sit for a half hour to 45 minutes for the car to charge. I'd rather gas up and go.
0: It's getting better, though. I think you can get it down to about 20 minutes for a decent charge on one now. It's pretty cool. You can pull up to a service area, just plug it in, go, you know, get something to eat, come back, and it's done. maybe. I mean, in this country, they're saying that they want to phase out all fossil fuel vehicles by 2030.
1: In eight years? Really? That ain't going to happen. Not going to happen.
0: They said that with um, analog radio. They wanted to phase that out by 2016. But, yeah, that hasn't happened. Well, is analog still going? Or has everybody switched over to digital? Not here. Well, it's still FM transmitters rather than digital transmitters. Yeah, yeah. The thing is that digital radios are still quite expensive for what they are. The average price of one is probably about £25 Mm. to £30, which when you can pick up a little FM thing for a couple of quid... (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know? True. I would, have, I would have figured that if anybody would switch over to all digital, it would be you guys.
0: We were one of the first places in Europe to actually change to completely digital television. Right. We decided that because we were hosting the Olympics and the Paralympics, we wanted to have full UK digital coverage for the Olympics. So by the summer of 2012, we were fully operational. It's not quite the same with digital radio not too many people have got a digital radio but a lot of people have got things like the bbc sounds app on their phone and that kind of thing which is really pretty good to be honest with you i use it a lot but then again i have got two digital radios in the flat
1: bbc sounds radio and podcasts
0: well there you go Uh, a lot of the radio shows that i listen to go on in the evening so I don't get to listen to it then. At work I can listen to it on the Sounds app and that's where I listen to Sounds of
1: the 80s. But I'm sure that people are concerned about what's going to happen now because Russia built some of the parts for various western rockets, things like that. Well ULA has already come out with a statement saying that everything that they need to finish their remaining Atlas V launches, they've got. They've already got all the engines that they need. Uh, They're currently being stored in Decatur, Alabama. According to this, ULA spokesman Jessica Rye said, As we manage the transition to the Vulcan launch system, all necessary RD-180 engines to execute the Atlas V flyout are safely stored in our factory in Decatur, Alabama. Those engines power the first stage of the Atlas V, and uh, following Russia's 2004 invasion of Crimea, Congress ordered the Pentagon to stop using launch vehicles powered by Russian engines, and only allowed the DOD to award contracts to the Atlas V, and those are for launches through this year. So now ULA is transitioning to Vulcan, which is going to be based on Blue Origin's BE-4 engines. So they have contracts right now to launch about 25 more missions for the government and for commercial customers between now and 2025. And they say that they've got all of the engines, and they've been working with them so long that... They've got all the expertise that they need as well, should they run into any issues with it. I mean, at least there's that. Any parts that they might need, but they don't have, they've got an agreement with Milling Precision in Wichita, Kansas, to supply those parts. So, the folks at ULA are confident that they've got everything they need for the rest of the Atlas V missions, so... That's at least something. They
0: were able to plan ahead for that. Unfortunately, that's not quite the same for Northrop Grumman because the Antares rocket's first stage is built in Ukraine and powered by two RD-181 engines manufactured in Russia. One web, however, would also have a situation. People are saying, well, why don't they use SpaceX? Well, they can't really use SpaceX because SpaceX produce their Starlink system, and one web is a rival. So that's particularly not going to happen.
1: Uh, not necessarily. You pay them enough, they'll probably do it anyway. Okay, I mean, I talk about this in my podcast every now and then, because you've got LG who makes their TVs, but then you've got LG Display, which makes panels, and they're not directly associated with LG's TV manufacturing arm. So you'll find LG displays in other vendors' TVs like Sony and all those others. I mean, I guess it's still technically possible if SpaceX is a separate subdivision from Starlink. I mean, there's still a possibility
0: I guess so because if you go to SpaceX's website and you click on Starlink, it takes you to a completely separate website. Well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. They could
1: have done that just because of branding. But uh, you know, you know, Sony makes panels, and you'll find some Sony TVs have LG panels in them. You know, that sort of. Samsung makes panels, and you'll find that some Samsung TVs have LG panels in them. Not saying it, it absolutely could happen, but you know, just maybe a little bit of hope for it. I guess really what OneWeb now has isn't so much that they can't find anyone to do it. It's a scheduling thing. And even if SpaceX does agree to it, their schedules are booked. They've got contracts for who knows how far into the future. Mm -hmm. Could they rush another rocket into production to work on it? Maybe. But then you've also got the fact that OneWeb would have to work with them to make sure that the payload now fits this new rocket configuration. Yeah, that's so So OneWeb's got a lot more to deal with than simply, oh, well, we just need to find someone else. It's got to be out of yeah. fit. <laughs> There's a lot more to it.
0: You were saying about different companies providing stuff for other companies. Don't Samsung provide some of the chips for um, Apple Oh, products? Samsung is one of the biggest chip manufacturers in the world.
1: There's Samsung and Taiwan Semiconductor. Those two are the biggest ones, pretty much. But yeah, just about every single electronic device we've got almost certainly has a Samsung chip in it.
0: Another country that we're forgetting about is Japan, because they've got a a range of rockets that you could probably send stuff up in, and so have India. So does India, yeah. So there are
1: other outlets. And and I wouldn't be surprised if OneWeb's already being... I almost want to use the word spammed. I didn't mean that, but... uh, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if these other companies are reaching out to them saying, Hey, uh, consider us. We can do this. Weren't they already supposed to have a launch... Scheduled? Yeah, they're supposed to have a launch scheduled on, on March 4th. I mean, they'd have to have that equipment built up again and payload changed, but I mean, they could do it. There are other competitors out there. It's just that OneWeb's going to have to go hunting again.
0: Yeah. I mean, even possibly, they, they could be a commercial arm of um, Blue Origin. There are a lot of outlets out there. It's just getting them up and running. To, to be able to provide the services, and this will probably give them the kick yeah. <laughs> that they need to do it. W- OneWeb is delayed, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. It's there. they just got to find the right
1: people to yeah. work with. Well, unfortunately, I mean, ESA's going to run into the same thing with ExoMars. I mean, that was supposed to launch later this year, and now they're basically coming out saying, that's not going to happen. They were supposed to launch a new uh, Mars rover in September. Yeah. That was going to go on a proton launch vehicle from Baikonauer, and, well, it looks like that's not going to happen now. They've said, uh, regarding the XMR's program continuation, the sanctions and the wider context make a launch in 2022 very unlikely. He says director general will analyze all options and prepare a formal decision, blah, 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 like they say. Uh, But then we deplore the tragic events taking place in Ukraine, a crisis which escalated dramatically into war in recent days. You think? So basically, it's a way of saying it's not happening this year. They were going to launch a rover named Rosalind Franklin, scheduled to launch mid-2020. Then they delayed it to September 2022, and now it looks like it's probably not going to happen. If they elect to not go farther with Russia, they're not sure what's going to happen, but the next launch window won't be until late
0: 2024. Do you have to be so precise with when you're going to launch to get things in the right window for getting to Mars? But unfortunately, like we were talking about earlier, that does also
1: mean that ESA's cooperation with NASA for the ISS is going to be an issue. You know, if they were launching anything from Baikonur or from French Guyana, you know, anything involving Russian rockets, well, now they're going to have a problem there as well. At least they did say that uh, we are not getting any indications at a working level that our counterparts are not committed to ongoing operation of the International Space Station, and that includes with Russia. From what they're saying, we're operating just like we were operating three weeks ago. So I mean, there's a little bit of potential goodness there, but you know, with the way that you said, uh, some of the leaders of Roscosmos have been <laughs> uh, tweeting. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Who knows how long that's going to last? I mean, it might have already changed since that article was was released because he's been pretty. Yeah, he's, he's being
0: ruthless. So who knows? So basically, it's been a bit of a downer, but there is some positivity there. If, if one thing I know is that the space community get round these situations... I mean, who knows? Maybe this will boost... No pun intended. Copenhagen suborbitals. Oh, that would be so you know, cool.
1: To have them help. You know, get, get their rockets going.
0: Yeah, I mean... That's one thing they've been saying since they started, that they want to launch somebody into space. Mm. Uh, There's one last thing I wanted to mention uh, about what's been going on. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has also destroyed a large part of its own space history. I don't know if you heard this story, John, with reports now confirming of the fate of the enormous aircraft that was originally built to transport the Soviet space shuttles. It was once the world's largest flying machine, both in wingspan and weight. The Antonov An-255, or the the Miura, I think it was the Miura, it's basically... Dream, translated into English, was parked in an open-air hangar undergoing repairs at uh, an, an airport to the northwest of Ukraine's capital city of Kiev. When Russia launched its attack, the Antonov company took to Twitter to say, until the AN-255 has been inspected by experts, we cannot report on the technical condition of the aircraft. The destruction of the AN-255 comes almost two decades after the only Buran to fly into space was also destroyed, the result of a hangar collapse in May 2002. Now, I've seen the pictures
1: that are supposedly of it, or what's left of it. Uh, there's no rebuilding it. In fact, that image is already up on Wikipedia, and, yeah, it's not being rebuilt. Everything in front of the wings is gone. You know, And, and wow. part of the right wing is gone. So, yeah. I mean, the, the cockpit is completely missing. The only thing that appears to be intact is the left wing and the aft part of the body. Everything else is gone. So, she's not being rebuilt. They could build another one, I suppose. But what are the chances that that's going to happen? I can't see it.
2: Space. The bottle of practice. These are the voyages of TGP Nominal and its infinite mission to explore space, science, and technology news. To explore the world of sci-fi, comic cons, and gaming. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before.
1: Obviously, you, you, you can't compare these little glimmers of hope when it comes to to space exploration with what's going on over there. Um, We're we're trying to just keep this in terms of what's happening in space and getting back up to space and so forth. So we're we're just trying to stay focused on that. We all know the atrocities that are going on in Ukraine. But at least with respect to getting back into space is as awkward as it sounds and as awkward as it is for me to say it. This actually is opening doors of opportunity for some other companies to get up into space sooner than they might have originally intended. I mean, it sucks the way that they had to come by it, but... Mm.
0: Talking of which, SaxaVord UK Spaceport has broadened its reach into the European launch market, agreeing a deal with a French small-launch rocket developer called Venture Orbital Systems. SAXA and VOS have signed a memorandum of understanding and intend to develop plans for a first launch in 2024. VOS is developing a two stage 15 meter rocket by the name of Zephyr, delivering small payloads of 70 to 80 kilograms into low Earth orbits, principally for satellite replacements. The company will conduct its first engine tests this year and hopes to reach 15 launches by 2026 and 40 by 2030. Robin Huber, the Director of Business Development at SaxaVord UK Spaceport, who is based in Munich, Germany, strangely, said, "Uh, we have been talking regularly with the VOS team over the last 12 months and we are delighted to have agreed an MOU with them. We look forward to working together now to ensure that the Saxa facilities meet the requirements of their production, logistics and manufacturing systems This agreement highlights the fact that Saxa is very much a spaceport for Europe and European launches and strengthens our continental presence. The venture orbital systems CEO Staninlas Maximin added, "We are delighted to start working with Saxovord. Their development philosophy really convinced us and fitted with the development of the Zephyr. Our launcher, above all, Saxovord provides us with a multi-purpose infrastructure, and this will be vital to the support of the Zephyr launch cadence." so that's quite a positive thing for the uk anyway i mean uh, they're talking of test launches at some point this year from there so um be interesting to see how that yes. goes to have something launched from the uk for the first time ever i'm still surprised it took this long though i still don't understand how we were launching things from australia in the 1970s long long before the australians had their own space agency yeah
1: I mean, your location is great for rocket launches. What was the name of that one that almost launched but didn't? Black?
0: The Black Black Arrow. Arrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it did launch. Well, yeah. (laughs) Not from the UK. It did launch. Not from the UK, but it was cancelled before it actually reached Australia. But the engineers just said, we didn't hear that message. (laughs) (laughs) We're launching it anyway.
1: (laughs) So yeah, I mean, even with what's going on, with all the startups that are going on, it's still an exciting time for space. Yeah. And there's still mistakes to be made along the way. I mean, Astra, they had an issue last month. I don't know if you saw that.
0: Was that the one that got launched from Florida? Uh, Astra normally launches from Alaska, though. They had a contract with, um, I think it was the Air Force or Space Force. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure which one that was, but uh, I know that they had that launch back in February that, well, it didn't do what they wanted it to do.
0: Oh, that was the one that went sideways, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, there? well, it didn't deploy properly, and then it went sideways. They said they actually found out what the problem is, and that's fine. Space is hard, but they said that the root cause was an error in a wiring diagram for the payload fairing that kept all its separation mechanisms from firing. That, in turn, kept the fairing from separating on the upper rocket stage, which obviously is encapsulated by the fairing and you know firing its engines and so forth. So, yeah. They said that this harness was built and installed into the vehicle exactly as specified, but the swapped separation channels caused a different deployment sequence than we expected, and this led to the failure to open the fairing. Then what they think happened is that because the fairing didn't deploy properly and the second stage ignited, it ran into the fairing, which caused it to go sideways. So it's like part of the fairing jettisoned is kind of what it looks like. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't exactly know why the second stage went off like it did, but they're assuming at this point that it ran into the failed part of the fairing. Now, they said that a misled series of signals resulted in a chain of events, resulting in the upper stage's inability to recover from its tumble. Although we had designed our software suite to be resilient to packet loss, an unlikely combination of factors resulted in a failure that we didn't predict. You know, I get that. You can't test a negative. They've corrected the payload fairing wiring harness flaw and instituted new tests that would be able to detect this problem for future vehicles. They also handled their software to better handle packet losses. They've learned from it. They're changing their policy Space
0: is hard. Well, everything you do in the space industry, you learn from it, whether it's a failure or successful. In many respects, you can't say something was a failure if you've learned from it because you're getting something from it, so it's not a 100% failure.
1: Maybe not 100%, but...
0: <laughs> you look at Apollo 13. Yeah, that's true. Would you call that a failure? No, because they managed to get those guys back home. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not a failure. Yeah, that's true. Did you read the article from the auditors regarding... Artemis.
1: Let's just say that uh, <laughs> as an American taxpayer, this is really just wow. the first four Artemis missions will each cost 4.1 billion per launch. That's just the launch you know and, and the, the stuff necessary to build it. That's not further development costs. ...or things of that nature. So that's just for production cost and ground operations. So the first four launches are going to cost a little over $16 billion... ...just to launch them. Absolutely crazy. So obviously we got Boeing, who is in charge of handling the SLS. We've got Lockheed Martin, who's doing the Orion development. Remember back in 2012 when they first were talking about this? They said that the per mission cost would be about $500 million. And we are now over eight times that.
0: It doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah. So according to this, they said uh, it's a challenging development process, of course. Duh. But we did see very poor contractor performance on Boeing's part, poor planning and poor execution. But of course it's Boeing, so, you know, they're just going give, to be given a pass. Here's your slap on the wrist, but, you know, just keep doing it. Here's more money. We saw that the cost-plus contracts that NASA had been using up to develop that combined SLS and Orion system worked to the contractors rather than NASA's advantage, you think? And for NASA's part, we saw poor project management and contract oversight. Unbelievable. So Boeing made a statement responding, saying that the Artemis program is still more cost-efficient than, than the space shuttle and the Apollo predecessors, saying that when adjusted for inflation, like that justifies it, uh, NASA has developed SLS for a quarter of the cost of the Saturn V and half the cost of the space shuttle for less than the average annual spending on space shuttle operations. The core national transportation elements in the Artemis program have been developed for a fraction of the cost of the comparable Apollo program systems and will continue to become more affordable as the program's transmission from development to operations. Sure they will. But when you think about it, the cost per launch is huge. Huge compared to SpaceX Starship <laughs> I mean they're talking about inflation adjusted the Saturn V, ah, the beloved Saturn 5 is 50 billion now I don't know why they're bothering to adjust it for inflation that sounds to me like it's an excuse don't care about what it would have cost if it was made that long ago I wonder, I care what it's costing now but Starship's development right now are between 2.5 and 5 billion and you know it's not per launch this is their development cost thus far Granted, neither SLS nor Starship have, have reached space yet. At least both of them are set to launch sometime this year, so at least we got something going on. But the problem is, with Artemis and SLS, it's now too big to fail. We've dumped so much money in it that no one's gonna say, Alright, just cancel it and start over. And that's the problem with it. According to the Inspector General's audit, $40 billion has already been spent on Artemis versus SpaceX's $5 billion for Starship. That from what they're saying here, NASA is projected to be spending $93 billion on Artemis through 2025. This is ridiculous. You know, and I'm sorry, that whole thing about, well, adjusted for inflation, that's just a cop-out because it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> well, pretty much with the Apollo thing, they were given carte blanche anyway. They were doesn't yeah. matter how much it costs. Get it up there. Yeah, it.
1: get it up there and
0: beat the Russians. That's not yeah. the case with this. I mean, it's good that we are going back to the moon, but it's a costly affair. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh... We're talking almost $100 billion before 2025. Meanwhile, SpaceX is there saying, yeah, we've spent $5 billion so far, and they're going to be launching their rocket this year most likely. It's crazy. Well, you and I have said this many times. NASA should just stick with the stuff that they are really good at. Things like New Horizon the rovers, sending things to other planets, sending things to the sun. They're good at that, really good at that. They should just keep doing that and let SpaceX and other industries worry about the moon
0: at this point. But even so, with the Orion capsule... We know that yeah. works. We've seen it go up. We've seen it go on somebody else's rocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, you can get boarding passes for uh, Artemis 1. Already I. did.
1: I was disappointed that it didn't include the mileage from the previous things that were done, though. It's still NASA. Yeah,
0: it's a completely different site and everything, yeah. isn't it? You can't uh, add it on. I suppose the other one is because it's all Mars-based. That's, that's it's possible, the, yeah. the, the,
1: No, I already got mine. Yeah,
0: so our names are, will be on the launch. There's going to be a chip on there with a our names on it for the um, amount of money it's costing our names better be going up on a gold flipping plaque <laughs> and I'm not even a taxpayer <laughs> if anyone's listening I'm not an American taxpayer well, yeah. okay
1: well I know what you
0: mean <laughs> well then again I mean I'm just wondering what is the international collaboration on that if any I do believe the service module I think might be European
1: so I mean, it's possible that your tax dollars are going to it in some
0: degree <laughs> yeah probably it's possible if I remember rightly, the service module is being made not too far away from where I am Look. right now, about eight miles well, there away. There you
1: go. So you, you, your tax dollars are going to it to some degree, I'm sure, unless they're c- just completely funded by NASA.
0: I don't think it is. I'm sure there's some investment because down the line, there's going to be obviously global partnership. Yeah. It's okay. in within everyone's interest to invest. Yeah, or Or at least cooperate in some way. So if anyone is interested in one of these boarding passes, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's just a cute little thing.
1: won't really change anything, but it's cute. But speaking of Artemis, Um, Romania has become the 16th country to sign the NASA-led Artemis Accords for cooperation in space exploration. So the head of the Romanian Space Agency, I'm going to butcher this and I apologize, Marius Ioan Piso signed the Accords in a ceremony in Bucharest, That was done on March 1st. So the Artemis Accords are basically saying, hey, these are the best things for all of us to cooperate to do space exploration. It outlines principles for cooperation, sharing data, uh, rights to utilize resources, and things like that. So Romania and seven other countries have all joined the Accords since then. No idea what Romania, what their part of the Artemis program is going to be or why they decided to sign on to the Accords, but all they said was, This spirit of collaboration was a main impetus for us to join the Artemis moon exploration endeavor. Among the clear benefits that emerge from the participation in this unique program, we see Artemis also as an attractor for the younger generation towards science discovery, innovation, things that robots still cannot do. I don't know about that. Kids see, hey, there's a new rover on Mars. That is so cool. Oh, my God. You know, and and start to get interested in robotics and things like that. Uh, Romania is the fifth member of the European Space Agency to sign the accords, joining Italy, Poland, Luxembourg, and uh, the UK. Of course. France has also expressed an interest in signing the accords, but has yet to do so. I have a feeling Russia's not going to be signing that anytime soon.
0: Uh, I doubt it. I was really surprised, or uh, well, I found out a few years ago, that Romanians had somebody in space before we did. <laughs> Are you serious? Once again, I might butcher his name. Dimitru Prunaru. He is a Romanian pilot and a cosmonaut who was the first Romanian citizen in space. He flew aboard Soyuz 40 spacecraft and stayed on the Salyut 6 space laboratory Mm. in 1981. Wow. They give it another 10 years, and we went into space (laughs) on the Juno mission with Helen Sharman. We were due to go into space in 1986. What it was is the RAF had some kind of payload on board the space shuttle, and they wanted RAF personnel to be on the space shuttle to make sure that it deployed properly. But then you had the Challenger situation. So these two RAF officers were trained to be astronauts, but they never actually went into space. Wow. So I was looking while you were saying stuff, and I found something
1: that I didn't know that Turkey has its own space camp.
0: Um, Yeah, I've heard this. I think they've also got one of these mock-up Mars things as well. The article that
1: mentioned that cosmonaut, yes you're right, I'm not going to try to butcher his name because I don't want to do that. (laughs) They actually own a non-profit here in the US called Global Friendship Through Space Education. Oh, right. I mean, it's it's obviously meant towards kids and so forth, but it's all about promoting friendship among young people from different countries and cultures through the study of space-related science and technology and I was looking at the about and it's Parent company is Space Camp Turkey. So then, this nonprofit in California has regional offices in three different locations in Turkey. That's cool. Wow. That's very cool. I did not know this. I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Kobrick knows about that. Probably. And they have scholarship programs, too. They award scholarships to 12 to 15-year-old students who may be gifted, disadvantaged, or victims of natural disasters. There's a six-day English language course at International Space Camp, which I'm assuming is here. Maybe not. I mean, it might even be over there. And then they have another one that's six days in.
0: Turkish. That's cool. There's so many opportunities out there now for kids to get involved with space related stuff, basically. Which wasn't that easily accessible when i was a kid. right we used to look at nasa and things as something that was totally inaccessible. back then it was a case of if you wanted to join nasa you had to become an american mm-hmm. citizen things have changed quite a bit since then which is why a lot of our astronauts here are not classed as british because they uh, became american citizens like michael foals uh, Piers sellers There was a couple of others as well that became American citizens, so they were technically not British, but they were British-born. Huh? That'd be kind
1: of cool to get an interview with those folks. If we talked to someone based in Turkey, it would suck for me. (laughs) If you talked to someone based in California, it would suck for you.
0: Uh, Possibly. I mean, I've had dealings with people in California before. I mean, a lot of the people that I've been dealing with at uh, Yuri's Night are based in California, so it's just getting the time right. (laughs) Weebly com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com So John So what? That's not a rude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it that way.
1: <laughs> it's good to be back in the saddle again. It, it I'm the American. I should be in the saddle. <laughs> That's you yeah. know. <laughs> if we're going to play that stupidity, well, I'm an American, so I should be in the saddle. What should you be in?
0: It's on number 49 bus. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know either. Oh, we, we, we
0: were back in the saddle as well. I mean, we, we were just in... Armor and jousting, and well, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs>
1: that, that's valid. Well, as soon as you hear something back in the saddle, I think of that old country western song, you know "Back in the
0: Saddle Again." <laughs> we just uh, had different saddles, and still do have that's different true. saddles. That's true. Okay.
1: I'll take it. Anyway.
0: <laughs> We've we'll been meaning to try and get something out for a while, and uh, yeah, it just seems to come together. So yeah, wish it was under better circumstances. Definitely, but yeah, hopefully things will get better soon. The next episode we put out should be the Yuris Night one. Hmm? So uh, looking forward to that. So that uh, leaves us with the normal stuff we say at the end of a show, which is uh, thanks for listening, stay safe, and we'll speak to you again real soon
1: those you stuffy English nigger.
0: Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then
2: send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output.
1: Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page
0: over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you
1: the latest in movies and home theatre for regular people in the widescreen podcast over
0: at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us